0: religion pleases God? Is going to church enough? Do we need to read our Bibles every day? What about taking care of the less fortunate? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran from Bible805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. People ask the same questions when the prophet Amos lived, and we're going to look at his answers in our lesson today, entitled, Amos, When Religion Isn't Enough, How God Wants Us to Live. Do you ever wonder what God wants you to do? In Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, he says that one of the most frequently asked questions of Christians is, What is God's will for my life? It's a question I'm sure many of us have asked. In today's lesson, we'll be looking at the book of Amos, one of the Old Testament prophets, for help in answering this question. There are a number of intense but very practical applications coming. Just a lot of things. I'm going to do a little bit of ranting and various things like that. But please hang in there in this lesson until the end. Please listen to all of it because it is so important to how we live our Christian lives. But first, I want to lay a solid factual foundation for why we can trust the truth of what we're studying. We are reading about and studying real people in identifiable history. Now, I created a timeline for you of the Old Testament prophets that is available at www.bible805.com If you haven't downloaded it as yet, I really encourage you to get it. The chart is available there for you. Now, previously, as you can see in the chart, Israel experienced some of the most powerful preaching in all of human history by Elijah and Elisha. But 60 about 60 years had gone by until we get to the prophet Amos, and sadly, there was little godly living left in the land. In response to that, God in His mercy sends Israel two more prophets, Amos and Hosea. They were real people living in real times with messages of real consequences. Now this is so important, and the importance of being able to share a chart like I did and talk about real history, I'm going to talk about some of the archaeology and verifications in just a minute, has been emphasized to me the importance of this as I've been teaching a series at church on why we can trust the Bible. And I've been using my materials that I've created both the lesson on comparing the Bible to Hindu and Buddhist scriptures, and also to the Muslim and Mormon scriptures. And both of these are available on Bible805 and on the YouTube channel. And in doing the summary of their religions, I've realized how many scriptures of other religions are full of fairy tales, fables, tradition. And they don't even You might say, try to hide that or whatever. They just say, well, we really don't know if this happened. We really don't know if that happened. But our Bible, the Christian Bible, is very unique in its what I call historical markers, historical anchors. And here are some of the things that I mean by that. Most of the books we will study clearly identify when they took place. They're far from vague fairy tales or spiritual histories. Many of them start with statements like this, and this is how Amos starts. The words of Amos one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoahash, was king of Israel. Now, the listing of kings and specific events is why I was able to put together that timeline, and why what happens in the Bible lines up with history and gives you a context of the prophet's message. Now, if we study, and we're not going to go into great detail on this, but just a few things, there are many archaeological verifications of major events that are listed. The passage that we just read talked about an earthquake, and in one of the websites dealing with the archaeology of this time, here's what it says. Archaeologists have found massive amounts of earthquake damage in sites throughout the ancient kingdoms of Judah, Israel, and the Philistines. This particular earthquake damage dates to around 760 BC, right around the latter third of Uzziah's reign. That's what Amos was talking about. Tilted walls, collapsed floors, and more are attributed to this earthquake. So great is the amount of evidence that scientists have been able to determine the epicenter was likely in Lebanon and that his strength was probably around a magnitude 8.2 and lasted around 90 seconds. Now, I live in California, and we're used to smaller earthquakes. So, uh, close to a six-pointer has been the, the strongest one I've experienced, and that scared me to death, and it lasted maybe 20 seconds. I can't even imagine an earthquake like this. It would have been something that you remember, something that you date events around, and that is what Amos did. There are also numerous other archaeological proofs that he lived when he said he did, that the kings lived when the Bible says they did. We have carvings on walls, we have seals, we have many many pieces of archaeology that verify the facts of this particular time. As important as these are, this is not an archaeology lesson. Again though, I just want to emphasize that the Bible does speak to us in real life situations. These these were times that archaeology and history and other writings tell us of great political turmoil. And yet, Israel was relatively wealthy, it was prosperous, it was doing quite well when the prophets spoke. However, they did have some ecological disasters, such as the earthquake, and at the same time, there was a lot of spiritual decline in the nation. Again, they had had previously fantastic prophets and revival, but now was a time of great spiritual apathy and decline. (laughs) Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And into this world, God sends his prophet Amos with a message for them and for us today. His name means burden bearer. He was not formally trained. He didn't go to one of the schools of the prophets. They had those things back then. He was from Judah. He was sent north to Israel. He was a shepherd and a farmer but because of the power of his preaching he's been called the first great reformer and you'll see the power of it as we discuss some of the different passages application on this God's calling can be unpredictable and if he wants you to do something he believes you can do it and that is the only thing that matters today anyone can start a podcast a blog. You can do YouTube videos. You can do all kinds of things to share God's message to your world. And your message may not be large, and most likely it's not going to make you much of an income, but if you feel called to do it, I encourage you to do it. I know some of you out there have been doing some things like this. You've let me know, and I just cannot encourage you enough. Keep doing it. Keep sharing God's Word Keep responding to his call in your life. His calling to people in sort of unknown situations, it's not that unusual. Amos 3.7 says, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. And in John 15.15, the New Testament again says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, for everything I learned from my father I've made known to you. And with this knowledge that we now have, Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, and I know to us also, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It may not be to another nation, but it might be. And with the internet, with the tools that we have today, you can have an extraordinary calling if you just listen to what the Lord wants you to do. You're listening to this particular lesson for a reason, and I guess that it's fair warning that God wants us to not only learn from His Word, but to share it with our world in whatever way we can. Earlier, I challenged you to consider ways that you can get the message out there to do that. You may not be called to create your own messages, but please do help me share the messages of Bible 805. I work so hard on this and I work such long days that I don't have time to do nearly as much letting people know what I'm doing as I do just creating these lessons and studying and putting them together and taping them and editing them and all those different sorts of things. But please do help me to share that Bible 805 is available. Tell your friends about it, pass it on. I really do need your help in that and very much appreciate anything that you might do. But moving along back to Amos, the book begins with judgment on the surrounding nations. God says he's going to judge Damascus for cruelty and war and Tyre because they sold their brothers. Gaza also was involved in slave trade, and God did not approve of that. Ammon was excessively cruel in war. Edom expressed too much anger and fury towards their brother Israelites. Moab took excessive vengeance on whoever their enemies happened to be. And Judah, then he centers on them, just south of Israel, idolatry was rampant in that nation. This is once again a reminder that everyone is accountable to God as it tells us in Romans 1. God's expectations of humanity are universal. There are no excuses for cruelty to others, no matter what the provocation, no matter what the situation. Now, he focuses on Israel. Because they were chosen by God, they deserve greater punishment. In Amos 3.2, it says, You I have chosen, he's speaking to Israel, therefore I will punish to whom much is given, much is required, we're reminded in Luke twelve forty eight, As a nation, they were strong, they were wealthy, and yet, in chapters 2 and 3 of Amos, it lists in excruciating detail the wrongs that they were committing. They trample the poor. There's injustice in many areas. They worship idols. They forbid the prophets to speak. There's excessive drinking. There's self-indulgence. In Amos 4, 1, he really blasts people. I mean, Amos is not sort of gentle and and subtle. This is what he actually says. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Some additional verses. In Amos two six. he says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. This is God speaking. They sell the innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Yet I destroyed the Amor- Amorites before them. I brought you up out of Egypt, God says to them. I also raised up prophets from among your children, and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites, those who who had vowed themselves to God, and to abstinence, and to a holy life. He said, you made the Nazarites drink wine, and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now, on commanding the prophets not to prophesy, not to preach. This is something that I need. I think we need to pause and look at because I believe that it is happening today. Prophecy, remember, is not only about foretelling the future, but about foretelling the messages of God, taking God's Word and explaining its meaning to our world. Now, in our contemporary world, we need to look at ourselves to see if we are forbidding prophets, those who want to teach the word, not to teach. And you might say, Well, what are you talking about? I would ask you, I would challenge you, how often in our churches is the word of God actually preached? Now, before you get really upset with me and think, Oh, well, we do that, we do that all the time, let's get really specific. Look at the sermon topics of your church. How many explain a passage of the Bible and ask, so what should we do because of this passage? How should we live? How should this change our lives? On the other hand, how many are often, how can I use this passage of Scripture or use this to make me more prosperous or healthier or to make me feel better? What is our emphasis in sermon topics or in small groups? How often do we, again, take a passage of the Bible and really study it and say, how can we apply this to our lives? How can our lives be different? Or how much small group time consists of just a discussion of, how do you feel about this? Or how do you feel about that? Or how did your week go? Now, it's important to share concerns, but... That should not be the focus of our study. We need to study and apply God's word for life change that's pleasing to God. In your church communications, how often do they advertise and really aggressively advertise upcoming fun events? And... On the other hand, how aggressively do they promote a class on the Bible, or a Bible study? Or, how often does your church even offer these things? We need to look at ourselves to see if, though we wouldn't obviously come out and say, Well, you can't preach God's word. That doesn't make us feel good. We might not do that. But, what is the emphasis? What is the overall message of our church as to what is important? Again, if you don't want to create them yourself, there are many, many resources on Bible 805 and they're free. You can have them. You can use them to share with your churches. I don't want to be necessarily be on a rant, but I guess in some ways I am. but this is really important stuff. And as Amos said, these are the words of my master God. I'll send a famine through the whole country. It won't be food or water that's lacking, but my word. People will drift from one end of the country to the other, roam to the north, wander to the east. They'll go anywhere, listen to anyone, hoping to hear God's word, but they won't hear it. I think we need to take this warning about a famine of God's Word very seriously. We still have resources. We still have time. Let's make use of them." And sadly, in many places, though it is here and now, we need God's word more than ever in our churches, in our small groups, in the hearts of God's people. Because in the past, we had what I call a leavening of God's word in public discourse, in schools everywhere. Not that long ago, society was based on Christian values. It wasn't that long ago that in schools people could pray. They could. I remember even in school. Uh, some of my teachers would still ask a blessing before lunch. Now, I know that really dates me as an older person, but that wasn't that long ago. when I often use the example when Billy Graham was preaching, and he would say, The Bible says that meant something to people. It doesn't today. They don't care. Now, people may not have believed everything in the Bible, may not have considered themselves a follower of Jesus, but the statement the Bible says had some weight to it it doesn't it now these things simply are no longer part of that cul- of our culture we need to intentionally study intentionally learn god's word and the problem again isn't only in society i think Many Christians really want to please God, but they don't know how to do it. We don't have society standards. We have to get it from God's Word. And the reason they don't know how to do it is they don't know the Bible. They don't know God's Word. And if they feel like they know it, the parts that they know, sadly so often, are just scattered bits and pieces of verses that are pulled out for some little morning devotional to make you feel good. And to fix, or to fix whatever emotional need you might have, or to support whatever political view they espouse at the moment. Again, that's why I started Bible 805. Why I do what I do. Why I encourage you without an agenda to read the Bible from cover to cover, read it chronologically, simply read what God has to say and apply it. And, um, I again I really encourage you to go to the website there's many many resources on it and I have a lot more that I'm putting together for you to help you get God's Word into all of your life. I feel driven by this because our world is so much like it was in Amos day. It's outwardly very religion but their religion at the time was mixed with idolatry and the way that theirs was, and I'll get to our world in a minute Jeroboam, a previous king, had set up two golden calves at Bethel and Dan, and after the kingdom split, people worshipped them as well as Jehovah God. And we need to ask ourselves, do we go to church? But at the same time, worship some of the same idols they did. Maybe not golden calves, but idols of self-indulgence, selfishness, lack of care for the less fortunate. Here's how God responded to this situation through Amos. God said, and again, this is another really tough one. I mean, Amos just blasted people. He said to the people, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. The response God wants, and he tells them that in Amos five fourteen and fifteen, seek good not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. And he goes on to say, but let justice Roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream." Well, obviously the next question we might ask is, what is justice? Relevant Magazine had an excellent an excellent article on this, and here's what they said. The Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. It occurs in its various forms more than 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Its most basic meaning is to treat People equitably. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race or social status. Anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. Now this situation of doing that, no matter what your social status of getting the same penalty was extremely rare in the ancient world. But Relevant Magazine goes on and says, but Mishpat means more than just the punishment of wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights. Mishpat then is giving people what they are due, whether punishment, or protection, or care. That is why, if you look at every place the word is used in the Old Testament, several classes of persons continually come up. Over and over again, Mishpat describes taking up the care and cause of widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor, those who've been called the quartet of the vulnerable. In pre-modern agrarian societies, these four groups had no social power, and they don't today, still, by the way, but anyway, moving right along. They lived at subsistence level and were only days from starvation if there was any famine, invasion, or even minor social unrest. Today, this quartet would be expanded to include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, and many single parents and elderly people. A similar passage that helps explain this is in Isaiah 58, where, again, it talks about the importance of justice, the meaning of justice, and how to become a people who practice it. Now, when uh, if you go to this, this chapter, begin at verse 2, God describes a particular group of people who they are talking to God, and they say, day after day, they seek me out. And they ask God, they said, we've humbled ourselves, and why haven't you noticed? Why aren't you answering our prayer? and boy does God answer them. His response is startling. This is what he says through the prophet Isaiah. Let me tell you what a fast is. They've been saying, well we fast at this time, we fast at that time. We do all these things. Again, God says, let me, let God tell you what a fast is. Let me tell you what worship is. Let me tell you what it really means to seek me. Is it not to loose the chains of injustice to untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free is it not is not the fast I chose to share your food with the hungry to provide the poor wanderer with shelter to see the naked and clothe him a contemporary prophet to Judah also reminds people of the need for justice. And we are very many people are very familiar with this verse, but it bears repeating. Again, remember, this is spoken at the same time to many of the same people. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This, of course, is in Micah 6.8. In addition to justice, mercy is needed because we've been shown mercy, and we need to remember that when acting with justice. Humility is needed above all because all we have and all we are is because of God. Pride and arrogance are the opposite of justice. Mercy and humility should always be characteristic of God's people. In the emphasis on justice, Amos reminded the people that how we treat others is important to God. God cares deeply for the poor, the widow, the alien. He expects his people to do the same. There's nothing in us to deserve God's love and mercy. We're all aliens from God's household. We are all spiritually bankrupt and poor. God pours out his love and blessings to us as his people both in Israel and today, and he expects us to do the same. Their response, though, instead of repentance, here is the response by their religious leaders. Then Amaziah, priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. And then he said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. In other words, get out, you know, go back to where you came from. Earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. Don't preach, don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary, and the temple of the kingdom. And here's how Amos answered, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. The people didn't want to hear the messages of kindness, justice, and mercy. They didn't want to hear them then, any more than people do today. Amos responds with this message of judgment. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning, and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son at the end of a bitter day. I will give the command, and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All who say, Disaster will not overtake or meet us. And in less than fifty years... Assyria conquered them. Yet beyond judgment, Amos prophesied mercy and hope. He goes on to say, In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter, I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins, and I will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all nations that bear my name, declares the Lord who will do these things, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. A constant message in all of the prophets is of hope and mercy after judgment. But I would be remiss if I didn't remind us all that some judgment is final. The same expectations that God had for the people of Israel, He has for all of us today in who we should care for, how we should live our lives. And I think it's really important to look at this passage with that in mind. And that's one of Jesus' last sermons where in Matthew 25, and many of you are familiar with this, but listen again to it. In Matthew 25, 31, where Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will When did we see you sick, or in prison, and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whenever you did it for the least of one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do, For the least of these you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. God makes it very clear what he wants, what he expects from his people, then in Amos day and now. In a time when people are looking for signs of the end of the world and signs of this and signs of that and and whatever, try to figure out dates and times of the end and all this kind of thing, we need to remember that these are not things we're going to know. And Jesus told us we won't know. He says you will not know the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. That is not what we are supposed to be concerned with. What we do know is what is important to God, and at the final judgment this passage is very clear about it we might not know how to live these commands out how do you feed the poor how do you feed the hungry maybe you're homebound yourself whatever now i'm i have but there are great organizations that do this there's the international justice mission and today in our world a group that is doing extraordinary things is the world kitchen group and there there are so many wonderful groups i encourage you to check them out i'm going to be putting some lists on bible 805 if if you're interested in that i'm sure many of your churches have absolutely wonderful outreach programs and prison visitation programs and all kinds of things. Be involved in these things and live out the expectations of Jesus. Applications, final applications. Are we living God's priorities according to Amos and according to this final message of Jesus? Justice and care for others, especially the downtrodden, is not a optional. It's a key expectation of God's people. That is what should characterize us. Religious observances do not take the place of actions, of reorienting our life's priorities. You don't have to do really big things, but we can do whatever we can. God's mercy is long, but it should never be taken for granted. We should be people whose lives reflect the justice, mercy and humility in all we do and especially how we treat others always remembering the message of Amos and of our Lord when he said the king will reply I tell you truly whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me let's treat all our world Everyone that we meet, those we don't meet, the ones we just see through the media and that we can give to and help, remember that when we do that, we're doing that for our Lord Jesus. That's all for now. I warned you that this one would be a bit of a rant and a bit of of heaviness, but I do pray that it is useful to you. Do check out the notes from this lesson, the resources, and all of the things that go along with it at www.bible805.com. And until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.